Welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd of the podcast. So excited to be here. Happy New Year. And I've got with me today someone who I met through the show, uh, the, uh, the Crappy Hippie. Crappy Hippie. Is that your name? That is my handle on uh, Google, yeah, on my YouTube channel. And your real name is John King. That's it. Well, welcome to the show, John. And just quickly, where are you from? I am from Edgerton, Kansas, actually in the woods and fields outside Edgerton, Kansas, which is in eastern Kansas. All right. And those of us who don't know where that is, it doesn't matter. It's in the middle of the country someplace. So Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's no ocean in Kansas. That's all I know. <laughs> About the far you can get. That's right. All right. So anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, quick rundown. Tonight on the show is our annual tinned fish show. Uh, we have... Uh, as part of our Fish Nerds Book Club, the FN Book Club, we've decided to review a book called The Tin Fish Gourmet. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Hugo Medeiros is checking in with his recipe out of that. Jeff Donaldson, the FN librarian, is here. And I'm here, and we'll be putting three uh, three examples of how to cook tin fish out on tonight's show. We also are going to get a check-in from uh, Michael Frank, our FN fly fishing correspondent from South Carolina and his brother James Frank from the uh, F and West they're together in Florida which is so weird of course we have some news and we're going to chat with the crappy hippie here tonight about ice fishing uh, lure manufacturing and other stuff and we even have a stump the fish nerds question which came as a lot to cover tonight so we should jump right in uh, John do you cook fish oh absolutely I was a chef for 20 years Oh, perfect. And you're on the right show. And as a chef, now I, I watch a lot of like uh, Hell's Kitchen and, uh, you know, all those cooking shows. And whenever they open a can of fish and cook with it, the judges go on, I can't believe you served me, you know, canned fish. Uh, how do you feel about canned fishes? Um, I don't get hoity-toity about it. You know, I, I have no problem with tuna or canned salmon. I mean, I think a good chef, you know, I'm more of a chopped guy. <laughs> to be able to take any ingredient and do magic with it if you, you know, have the skill. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, but on all these shows, it's t- tinned fish would be like a very bad thing for some reason. So I'm with you on the, if it tastes good and it's sustainable, do it. Uh, but last year, we made a show called the Tinned Fish Special. And my friend Vinny and Rich Collins and I sat down together. And we ate about 20 different kinds of tinned fish right from the can and recorded it as a, sh- as a live show. Did you hear that show? I'm still. I'm sitting here laughing about it. Are you kidding? I, it was an amazing show. It was hilarious. It was the most painful uh, show I've ever recorded. <laughs> Say it again. Oh, I said Rich Collins was like at the end was like my body doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> doesn't <laughs> well, like me anymore. No, our bodies hated us after that show. We paid for that for weeks, uh, and we we were excited to do it again. Uh, so, uh, as our FN Book Club came up this year, we do this monthly or bi-monthly club where we read a book as part of the show. And this month, we're talking about The Tin Fish Gourmet, uh, and that is written by Barbara Jo McIntosh. This, this book's been out for a while, and it's really just a bunch of recipes on how to cook well with tinned fish. She's an award-winning chef, I think a Michelin star chef, and she loves tinned fish. And you're starting to see more and more tinned fish restaurants opening up around the country. So it's actually a trend right now in cooking is using tinned fish. So we decided uh, to cook some fish out of this book. And I'm not going to talk much more about it, except for if you haven't seen the book yet, check it out. I'm going to give my copy away. And uh, the way I'm giving it away will be announced on Facebook on Monday. That's the day the show is released. Um, So get yourself on 
the Fish Nerds Facebook group. It's a podcast group. And I'll announce the uh, contest on there and I'll give my copy away uh, and uh, just check it out. So first up on our culinary adventure, here's Hugo Medeiros, our uh, FN um, culinary correspondent. Hello, Fishners. This is Hugo Medeiros, cooking correspondent for the Fish Nerds. How's everybody doing? So we're in December. And, uh, yeah, coming up on the holiday season, pretty pumped about it. And what we got going on here is pretty cool. So, uh, I think Clay decided to organize this. Uh, we're giving each other some gifts, and they're tied into, of course, uh, fishing-related uh, topics of all sorts, including, well, what I get roped in to do, what I love to do, is the uh, cooking segment. So, the one, um, one book that we um, all have gotten is uh, called Tin Fish Gourmet. This book is awesome. I'm pumped about it. It's something um, right up my alley. It's a little bit different, you know, a little bit, um, you know, not, not what most people in the U.S. anyways would uh, enjoy eating every day. But this is done by these two uh, amazing, I think they're... At least one of them is Michelin award-winning chef. The name of the book is Tin Fish Gourmet, Gourmet Seafood from Cupboard to Table by Barbara, Barbara Jo McIntosh with the foreword by Michel Rue. So bonjour to our French-speaking friends in Canada or France or wherever you may be. I know we got quite a few fish nerds up in uh, Canada. So if you speak French, bonjour. And what we are going to do is do a recipe out of this. So the one I took out of here, that was cool. There's a million cool ones. I can't wait to go through all these. So what they do is they get these really nice, like, gourmet, I guess you could call it, uh, cans, uh, seafood products. There are some, some amazing ones out there. And they just do really wonderful uh, dishes with it. Some of them really, really simple and really amazing. And I'm going to do a take on one that I saw and liked. And I did a little bit of twist on it myself. So this one is called Curried Sardines on Toast. So what I'm going to do instead is I have these amazing smoked oysters that I got from this uh, shop uh, not far from me here. It's uh, really nice. They got all sorts of crazy, wonderful food products. So this is made by the company called Roland, and it's premium smoked oysters in a tin, and they are awesome. I mean, these things are just, just a joy to eat. So what she does in her recipe is she makes a simple um, Indian curry from scratch, and then take some toasted bread and uh, layer some butter on it and then top it with the sardines and then top it with the curry. So what I have done is I got some uh, nice whole wheat uh, healthy bread that I toasted. And instead of the butter, I'm going to do, I'm Portuguese, I'm going to do the thing I love to do is uh, olive oil. So I have this um, really, really nice, certified, 100% authentic, young, extra virgin Portuguese olive oil. So I got the toasts. 
I drizzled a tiny bit of olive oil on there, rubbed it in with the brush. And then what we are going to do is layer these oysters right on top of them. It's amazing when the, these smoked oysters, they, they shrink up so much when they get smoked. They become tiny. All right, so we'll layer these right here on the toast, and we're going to see what we get here. Interesting. Well, my mouth's watering, so that's going to be a pretty good sign. <laughs> Interesting um, combination of flavors. We'll see what happens, and I think it will be good, judging by, um, you know, the idea, well, where the original recipe was coming from. But I did my little twist on it. I'll do some... Uh, some I'll do straight out of the book, obviously, and I'm looking forward to do it to see what these bri brilliant chefs have invented. And let's see what we got here. Okay. That's awesome. So we have this, that curry flavor and the smokiness of the oysters that mixes together great. Real nice, sweet and savory, smoky flavor. And the crunchiness of the toast, this is awesome. So looking forward to cooking um, straight out of the book, exact to the recipes, what they have here, learning a ton of stuff. I picked up some more uh, different things. I have smoked mussels and different kinds of anchovies and canned squid. So cool stuff. Um, you know, one of the things I love is just learning more and more and uh, cooking things and eating things I've never had before. Always a ton of fun. And you guys are going to hear from uh, the rest of the crew, I believe. And we're going to do different recipes out of the book. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thank you, Hugo. Uh, that sounded terrible. Uh, he switched out the sardines in that recipe for uh, smoked, um, smoked oysters, which I've never eaten before. But they just look like little balls of brown snot. And so I'm a little scared of them. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> But but uh, Hugo will make everything look good, and we appreciate him. Uh, up next is Jeff Danielson, or F and Librarian. He's from uh, Kansas City, Missouri, I believe. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, and, and uh, how close is Kansas City, Missouri, to Kansas? Uh well, they're they're split right there where the call comes into the mo. But you know, it's about <laughs> forty five minutes from me. Perfect. Do you guys know each other? Huh? No, but I know you know Mid Continent Library. It has like eighteen branches, so I don't know exactly where to go find him. But he's he's over there somewhere. He's over there somewhere. His library rents out fishing equipment. Yeah, well, our Edgerton Library does that too. I love that. And I have my some to my some of my best friends here in the area. Uh, two our librarians, our direct librarians, and I want them to start doing that, like checking out ice fishing equipment with the ice fishing books and that sort of thing would be so cool. But it, it's such a great oh. thing to do. Yeah, it's a great thing to do. And I, you know, I go around to garage sales and stuff and pick up the $5, $10 outfits and I'll, you know, donate them or give them away to people. It's, it's, a, it's a fun thing to do. That's super great. And getting more people into the sport. But uh, speaking of sports, Jeff cooked for us uh, tempura sardines, which is basically battered and fried sardines. My guess with this recipe is you don't have to add salt to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's Jeff. All right. Good morning, fish nerds. It's four. 50 a.m. Uh, release day of this podcast. I can't find the file for Jeff Danielson's uh, segment here for the Tin Fish Special. So we're going to use that next week. So stay tuned. Uh, in the meantime, just uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Sorry about that technical difficulty. It's not Jeff's fault. It's totally me.
All right. And we're super glad to have that. It sounds good. I'm actually going to try that one with my kids um, who do most, most of my cooking I do with my kids. I like them to get really involved. My youngest daughter, Sammy, is a great cook. My oldest daughter, Zoe, likes to cook. So we have one who's really good and one who likes to do it a lot. And there's a little difference between the two. But together, we decided to cook a tinned uh, shrimp recipe. And we made sweet potato cakes uh, with tinned shrimp. And um, here is that adventure with my kids. All right, so we're here in our kitchen, the Tin Fish Special. We're working out of a book called The Tin Fish Gourmet by Barbara Jo McIntosh. And this is part of the new The Fish Nerds Effin Book Club, our annual Tin Fish Special. Join me in the kitchen tonight are Sammy Grove. Say hi, Sam. Hi. And Zoe Grove. Say hi. 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 Uh, and so Zoe's going to tell us what to do. Sam's going to do it. And we're going to talk it through it. So, Zoe, what are we doing? So we're making shrimp and sweet potato cakes. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Made with mini tiny little shrimp. The tiniest shrimp ever. Teeniest. Yeah, these are canned shrimp called wild tiny shrimp. Each can is four ounces. We doubled the recipe because we got to feed a family. All right, what are we doing? Um, so Sammy's going to put the tins of fish in. Do it, Sam. Right One now. or two. Put them both in. We're doubling the recipe tonight. Delicious little shrimps. <laughs> they so look cute. delicious. Now, now put the um, thing of the sweet potato. How much, how much sweet potato is recipe called for? One fourth cup. One quarter cup. So we're gonna do what half? Yeah, so half. All in there, Sam. Sweet potatoes. All of it, Sam. Just pour these, it in. These are shredded. Yeah. What's next? Now put two green green onions, straight. Diced. Sliced. Sliced and diced. <laughs> diced. Sliced and diced. Good. All right. Now put a, one small parsnip grated. What in the world is a parsnip? It was funny. I was at the supermarket with this list, and I had to ask the guy at the um, produce section what a parsnip is. Because like, I was looking for it, and I had no idea. He's like, what in the world is a parsnip? Yeah, grab that bag behind me, Sam. See the bag and the yeah, that's a parsnip. What do, they, what do they look like to you? White carrots. They look like white carrots. Yeah. Yeah, they're like a funky little white carrot-looking thing. I've never, I've no idea. So, anyway, put those in the bowl. I only know it from par- what I sing. Parsnip brown is in a parson brown. Oh gosh. All right, what's next? Parsnips are in. Um, now put in one teaspoon lemon juice. Sam, squeeze that lemon. Squeeze. You can use your thing. Same as a little squeezer. It's a Hello Kitty squeezer. Yeah. There you go. Oh, on your sleeves and everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's important when you squeeze lemons. You get as much on your clothes as you can. Yep. Feels really great in the small. Yeah, Cuts. definitely. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially on cuts. Especially Especially on freshly opened cuts. Yeah. I should say while we're doing this, as a backup dish in the oven, I have a fresh cut uh, rainbow trout. Just in case. Just in case. Bonus fish. Good job, Sam. That's it. Good, good, good squeeze. Perfect. All right. Lemon juice is lemon. We're juiced. Now Sam's going to put in cayenne pepper. Cayenne pepper is next, Sam. Here you go. Does she put the entire thing in? Yeah. Or just... What's 
gonna be spicy. A little bite to it. Good job. What's next? Um, Where's cayenne, by the way, for the listeners? One. Um. Let me see. One fourth teaspoon. Right. Now put one egg lightly beaten. One egg lightly beaten. What's next? Um. Put the chopped tomato in. One fourth of a cup chopped tomato. It's gonna be good. Yep. I love it. Um. Now put. Cilantro chunks. Cilantro. Cilantro. Usually fresh is better, but we didn't have any, so this is yeah, dried stuff. It's dried. Keep going. It's still gonna be delicious. Um now put two tablespoons of cornmeal. Cornmeal. Corn so absorb some of the moisture and hold it all together. Mm-hmm. Cornmeal meal is a magical glue. <laughs> it's nature's glue. <laughs> Keep reading. What's next? Mixed with water, yeah. Um, Sam, put in the Parmesan cheese. How much? Um, two tablespoons, but we're doing four. And we can get this uh, website on our website, fishnurse.com, for the full recipe. Now, and Sam, two, right. two tablespoons of butter. No, those are not ingredients. Those are what we're going to fry them in. So what we're going to do is we're going to mix this all together. Okay, can I mix? And put them into balls, and then we're going to fry them. So stay tuned. Okay, so here we are. We're in the kitchen. We're making these into patties, and we found... That the recipe as written, the patties didn't stay together, so we had to add a little bit of cornstarch to them to get them to hold their shape. And now we've got them in the pan. They're browning up beautifully. You hear that cooking happening? Yeah. Nice hot oil. And they come out nice and golden brown, and it's going to be delicious, I think. So, but the Duke definitely had a hard time making them into good, uh, good patties. Yeah. Three, two, okay, Mike is hot, you guys. And so is the food. The food. food. What is this? This is shrimp and sweet potato cakes. And we're going to have a little taste. They look beautiful. They do. We cooked them about three or four minutes on each side so they were nice and crispy, golden brown. We got a little tartar sauce here we're going to have with them. Describe what you tasted just now, Zoe. It ta- I tasted yumminess. Okay, so I'm going to take my bite. Mmm. Mmm. They're really good. Mm-hmm. Tartar sauce is good. What do you think of the fish cakes, Anne? I love it. Yeah. So, well, we found a fish that same like. Shrimp, well, our fish are shrimp. I mean, are shrimp a fish? Shrimp or no. fish? No, shrimp are not fish. But these are, I don't care what you call them, they're wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm. These whatchamacallums. All right. A total win, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. We're out. Bye. Bye. The halibut. Is a happy fish. His fins stick out and his tail goes swish. All right. And that one, um, that one I think of all of them looks the best because I think that, too. that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> and the thing about uh, fish cakes is fish cakes always look good. You know, they're always that pan seared brownness. And I've never had fish cakes. Um, with sweet potato uh, in them, and that really added a lot to it. You almost you almost couldn't taste the shrimp in this one, but all oh, really good. I'm gonna include screenshots of the recipes from this book at fishnerds.com, so you can try these recipes. But again, go to the Fish Nerds Facebook group and enter this contest, and you can get a copy of my book. I might even be able to talk Jeff or Hugo into giving theirs away. Maybe we can give away two or three copies of this. Hugo um, 
Incidentally, next week and the week after has recorded extra recipes from this book for us. So you'll hear more about these in upcoming episodes. Uh, and that's the FN Book Club. You can get this book at your local library, Amazon, or wherever wherever you like. It's it's not expensive. Used, it's like three bucks. New is like 12. Uh, and it's so much fun. And it's such a different way to cook fish. And, and I always like these kind of new new approaches. Really good. I just think, you know, that uh, anybody that gets into cooking is doing a great thing. It's such an empowering thing to do. And don't let people like Chef Ramsey intimidate you, you know. Yeah, that bastard. By the way, Chef, you want me to come on my show, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, This show is supported by our listeners. Uh, If you are a listener to the show uh, for a long time, you're probably tired of me saying this, but... We currently don't have any sponsors, and so we actually uh, rely on our listeners to fund our show. We're part of a website called Patreon.com, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If you go to Patreon.com and search for Fish Nerds, we have a page on there, and we're hoping our listeners each give us uh, like a dollar an episode to help support the show, $4 a month, and that's all we need. If, If all of our we actually have thousands of listeners now, which is weird. If all of our listeners would give us $4 an episode, uh, I could quit my job and make a living podcasting full time. And that would allow me to spend the money on more research, travel. I can travel out to Kansas and learn about why I should get away from the ocean once in a while. <laughs> I find out why you want to go right back to the ocean. Maybe, maybe. Um, but I could travel more. We could do more of the show. We can grow the show more. Uh, and the money really makes a big difference. It goes directly into making the show better. Or once in a while, I might take my wife out for dinner, which is more important for the show than you realize. Really critical part of the show is my wife being happy. So $4 a month would give us, go a long way. You give us $2 an episode, that's $8 a month. I'll send you out some Fish Nerds swag, like a Who rag. You give us $4 an episode, you're going to get Fish Nerds hats. Um, if you pay us $25 an episode, which is a lot of money, you are at the sponsorship level, and I will mention your business on the show. Our friend Josh Lopes from LopesTax.com has uh, done that for the last over a year now, which we're really happy about. So if you have any tax guy and you're in Massachusetts or New England, Josh Lopes is your guy, LopesTax.com. Anyway, Patreon.com slash Fish Nerds. Starting in February, everyone who donates through Patreon is entered in a monthly drawing of random stuff. I keep getting mailed all kinds of fishing lures and other things from companies, and I like to use them, but I also like to give them away. So, for example, I've got a bunch of... Um, of uh, Lures from Glasswater, <laughs> lead-free lures in my bag, and I'd like to give them to listeners. Um, and so I'd rather give them to Patreon subscribers after I test them out, and they can try them out themselves. And I have hats and T-shirts and all kinds of cool things. So Patreon.com, get in on that, and I think that's a really good way to do it. Well, listen, man, you need some more lures. You let me know. I just came up with a new one. Oh, no. Vertical gig. So you'll be getting another surprise here shortly. Excellent. With your listeners or however you want to do it. Excellent. But uh, that's a great thing. That's a great, uh, great gimmick there, a prize yeah. going. A gimmick. I love it. I mean, I always pay it forward. You know, I want we, our listeners are part of the show and we bring them in. So we're happy to have them. So that's enough about our trying to ask you for money. We do need it. But um, again, we're happy to have people just listening and that's helpful as well. So uh, now time for a check-in from the South. Our friend uh, Michael Frank and James Frank are part of the show for a long time. And they're on vacation in Florida, and they called in a Fish Nerds New Year's resolution, which is an annual thing I do on the show. And I don't, didn't do it this year, but let's do it. If you want to be part of this, call our show, 607-378-FISH. 
leave a voicemail with your fish nerds fishing uh, resolution for 2018. I'll play it on the show next week. Uh, and you can be part of the fun. Uh, so here is a check-in from, I'm going to call it the effing South, the Fish Nerds South, Michael and James Frank. Happy New Year, nerds. Happy New Year. It's uh, it's amazing, James and... And Fish Bro Mike. Fish Bro Mike. Hey, uh, so we're here in Florida. In the Sunny Eustis, Florida. Sunny Eustis, Florida. and um, 60 degrees, cloudy, windy. Was it even 60? Uh, it was barely 60. Today. Barely. Yeah, it was a little chilly actually down here, but nowhere near like probably the lower teens that everyone in the Northeast is experiencing right now. True. True. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about um, our adventures down here really quickly. Um, <clears throat> Mike and I went on a little snook fishing adventure yesterday and had a really good time. Um, we almost caught a Labrador retriever. <laughs> That's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Came out to say hi and wanted yeah. to eat our flies as we threw them. Yeah. And um, we had a really good time. Almost seemed more interested than the snook. Yeah. The guy we went with, his name is Justin Price from Right Insight Charters. Um, Nice guy. Very nice guy. Very, very good fly fisherman. And uh, said he's been doing it for somewhere around 15 years? Uh, years? I think he's a 10. But still. Somewhere in there. He knows his stuff. Yeah. He's good. good. Nice flies. Great tackle. Put us on the fish. Every place he told us to cast, there were fish. It was amazing. He's like, there's a fish over there. There's yep. a fish. Yep. So, um, so Mike and I actually really wanted to go for redfish, but it was very windy and um, like 20 mile an hour winds. And uh, we got away with it anyway for snook. Yeah. For snook. Yeah. It's hard to see those redfish when the water is like mud brown. Mud brown and choppy. So, um, so the snook situation though was really a, a throwback for us because we used to fish when our grandparents were down in Stewart, Florida. About what four hours south of here, probably. Yep, on the, the Indian Saint River? Lucie River yep. and the Indian River. Although Saint Lucie was a lot closer, uh, the Saint Lucie River was like just the other side of the ro- road from their um, their condo complex. Yeah, we used to walk right to the bridge, and um, there was a dock with a light on it at night. And mom and dad would let me somehow sneak out of the house with Mike at night. Yep, and and we'd stay out there till Grandpa came to get us, mm-hmm. looking a little perturbed because Grandma was worried about us. All right, Mikey. Yeah, time to come home. Eleven o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And, we were uh, fine. I was always fine. It was great. It was great. And I learned. I, I bottom fished there when I was a little kid. I'd, I'd go out there and catch sheep's head and pompano and whiting and sand perch, that kind of thing. And then I guess I was about twelve years old when. I walked out on the bridge one night and there was a 10-year-old kid out there, also by the name of Mike, who was drifting live shrimp under the bridge right out to the uh, dolphin pilings at the end of the um, dolphin the pier. Uh, there, were, there were two pier, piers on either side of the, of the drawbridge. Mm. So the drawbridge. Right. And he would use 40-pound test, bite tippet, and a little gold treble hook, size 10, which don't try that now. That's totally illegal. No. Oh, yeah. You can't use a treble hook. I don't think you can use treble hooks at all anymore, but you certainly can't use them with a bait for snook. Snook or game fish. Um, right. You have to be, got to follow those regulations. We had mm. to throw them all back on this trip. Huh. Um, out of season. So. No, no treble hooks on this trip, by the way. But no treble. Yes, absolutely no, no, no treble hooks. Simple flash. But this kid had it dialed in. He he had 40 inches or so of a 40-pound test and a swivel and this crimp on weight above that. And he would put one prong in that treble hook through the collar of that shrimp and just drift it down to these snook that you could see under the bridge lights. And when it got near the snook's mouth, you'd feel a little tap. 
and you could wait for five seconds if you wanted to because the snook would just hold it in his mouth, set the hook, and then all hell broke loose. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I remember the big thing about snook fishing, though, and this is true just about any big fish near pilings, is you want to get them away from the pilings as fast, quite fast as possible. snook are so smart. <clears throat> so they I, knew exactly yeah. where to go to wrap you they, around them. Right. So I just, want to, I just want to relay a quick story about our little trip this week, which was fun yesterday. <laughs> um, <clears throat> was it the first one you caught? I don't second know. One. I think it was the second one. Was it? Yeah. They weren't very large fish, these little snook that we were catching. And we were kind of used to catching, like, monster snook, like, 20 inches plus or, you know, like, five, six, seven, ten pounds. Yeah. And um, that's not even a monster, really. That's that's just yeah. a decent-sized fish. <laughs> and <clears throat> anyway, so Mike's second fish yesterday, he caught the first two or three. Um, he sets the hook. <laughs> he sets the hook. And this little, this poor little snook. <laughs> Became not like, even like a, a foot long. Not, no, not even like eight inches. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this silly thing just starts, it like flew probably about a good 30 feet, I'd say. Easily. Through the air. And did it smack you or the boat first? It hit remember. me. It, yeah, I think it hit Mike in the chest and then fell to the, <laughs> fell to the boat. <laughs> so, um, so sorry, Captain Justin Price. Yeah, um, sorry, about, little Snook. Sorry, little Snook. Um, now, sorry, sorry, PETA. All right, now in my defense. <laughs> Captain Justin had given me a nine weight fly rod. He had, and you're and you I were was used not to aware of that. I'm right. used to seven, so you know, and, and you see that that pop on the surface, you just that's the instinct. Yeah. Set yeah. hard, set hard. <laughs> Superfish. Anyway, but we had a really good time, and um, among the dozen or so snook we picked up, Mike Mike hooked onto a pretty good size one in some really 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 rough weather, and lost it. But whatever. Um, yeah. But we did we did have uh, one mangrove snapper, which that was, was weird. Cool. Yeah, a mangrove snapper. Did not expect that, on especially like on the surface. We I mean, we were throwing like little surface diver flies that stayed right on top and dove under like an inch or two, and then yeah. popped back to the surface. And and that snapper came right up and grabbed it. So, Mike, what's your what's your New Year's resolution? Your New Year's fishing resolution? Oh my gosh, fish more, fish more often. I don't know. Uh, I, get what, out as often as possible. I'll tell you what mine is. Mine is that you and I are going to go fishing, um, even though we're across the country. We're going Absolutely. To make, we're going to make, it, make an effort to get together at least once this year to do a, a good trip together. Yeah, you need to come to South Carolina and hop in the boat with me. Or, or better still, I, I really, I guess my resolution is to get to Tennessee and to get out with my drift boat and, and drift I'm gonna, more rivers. I'll leave the jokes about Tennessee to, to Clay. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I won't make any jokes. But uh, you hey, come down there and try some of those brown trout fishing. I know some that, of that brown trout fishing. Oh, There's some monster brown trout in yeah. some of those Tennessee rivers. Yeah, I know that the, the Tennessee rivers are pretty darn cool, and North Carolina and uh, all those mountainous places. Anyway, but um, yeah, we could try that. We could try a lot of different things. We'll see what we do. Anyway, so um, with that, uh, we'll sign off and, uh, and wish the rest of the nerds out there a happy new year. Happy new year. Yep. And um, I, I would say it's the F and West, but this is kind of the F and um, southeast southeast we're in right now <laughs> so uh happy new year nerds and uh we'll we'll hope to check in soon again take care all right let's uh let's hold the news for one more second i want to really talk to you crappy hippie for a little bit cool yeah you're in kansas yeah and it's cold there right now yeah uncharacteristically cold yeah <laughs> so and you do a lot of fishing there you're designing fishing lures but you've actually gone ice fishing I did get to go ice fishing in spite of my dire prediction in your last show that we'd never get any ice, uh, <laughs> but it's in my mouth. That's right. And how dare you make predictions? Yes. Uh, yes. How dare I? So, so uh, for those who don't know, you haven't been ice fishing in a long time because of the climate in Kansas. Correct. Uh, and, and so this year you've got that polar cold air coming down. You've got frozen lakes. How'd the ice fishing go? 
Uh, it went terrible. Um, <laughs> I mean, first of all, I'm not you. And we get out there, and there's six inches, which I guess is plenty, plenty big. That's tons of ice, yeah. And it's clear, but you know, it's doing the popping thing and the cracking thing, which experienced guys tell me it's making more ice. Don't worry about it. Doesn't matter how experienced you are; it scares the bejesus out of you. Well, it takes a while. And of course, I have no ice cleats, and I <laughs> suffer from AGE. So if I fall down, it can be serious. And, uh, and the one auger we could get our hands on, the blade was so dull, it wouldn't cut, you know, a stick of butter. So 10 minutes just to get one hole driven with one guy leaning on the top of it and the other guy turning <laughs> the crank. So it was not the most auspicious ice fishing adventure ever. Uh, our big plan was to make a trail of holes, mm-hmm. find the crappie, then go down to my neighbor's pond, see how the stockies were doing, how they'd grown over the summer. Uh, but it was one hole, test two lures, and then back to the house. That's really fun. And, uh, and a chainsaw would have done well for you. Well, I don't have the experience. And I, I, people you know, say you want that rip blade, that 10% no, angle, and also you spray yourself with water real easy, I guess. Yeah, you will spray yourself. What you do is you drain the oil out from behind the blade. You don't need oil. And then you just cut. And, and you use a regular cross-cut blade for that? Yeah. It's, okay. cutting, it's cutting ice. And, just, and don't cut huge holes. Just cut little squares. And then right, you, right. And then you push the, uh, you, can take, you can take a spud or something, and you push the ice down under, and then you're, you have a hole. Right, right. But you will, you, you will get sprayed with ice. That's true. Okay, well, I can, you know, I can take that or whatever. I just, I, uh, now I know my friends that do the pike spearing, and I assume your friend Carrie Z that does the sturgeon thing. Yep. Makes big holes. Yes, they do giant holes, and they, they have big ice saws for that. Oh, I see. So what they'll do is they'll take an auger and drill four whole corner four corners out, and then these big giant saws that just saw the ice. They're not you not usually using chainsaws because of the spray back, and because of just it's pain in the neck. Okay, but in a pinch you can. I've seen kids on, in New Hampshire even. I, I once saw a twelve year old making a bunch of holes with a chainsaw, and he was covered in, sh- in shaved ice afterwards. He was so proud. Yeah, no, I've done a hatchet. I've done the axe. I mean, but we haven't had it in so long, and we're all scrambling, pretty ill equipped. Yeah. Well, hey, six inches is a lot of ice. That's uh, our big lake out here, Silver Lake. That's how much we have out there now, and that's uh, that's plenty. We have, okay. we have a shanty out there. We have snowmobiles on it. You'll do fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which which brings me up to a quick stump the fish nerds, and then we're going to talk about your lures, okay? So we got a, we got a te- uh, message from Paul Chomo. Paul Chomo is the host of the Varmints podcast. Have you heard the show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've heard of the show on your show, and yeah. – I have not had time to pursue it, but it sounds fantastic. It's a wonderful show, good family-friendly show with a lot of adult-level jokes in it, but at a level that kids don't care, which is really nice. Uh, and I happen to be a huge fan of the show, so the fact that Paul listens to our show is beyond me. Um, but uh, and he, Paul is very interested in ice fishing, and he sent a message that says, uh, being a nearly lifelong Florida resident, I cannot imagine walking around on frozen lake, never mind driving on one or doing most anything other than completely panicking. How thick uh, does ice have to be to walk around on it without having to worry about collapsing under your feet? The whole thing just baffles me. I don't think I could do it. I have a completely different relationship with lakes than you. So, uh, do you know the answer? You want to answer Paul's question? Uh, I can try. I mean, I've, here's what I've heard. Two inches, one guy. Mm-hmm. Three inches, a couple. They stay spread out. Mm-hmm. Four inches, three or four people. Wow. Six inches, you're pretty pretty good to go. <laughs> okay, so those are very, uh, I want to say liberal or easygoing estimates. I would Daredevil actually, estimates. Daredevil <laughs> estimates. Those are your take-your-life-as-your-own-hands estimates. Okay. 
Um, I've I've gone through it three inches uh, walking on ice. So I, oh really? So anything less than four inches, stay off the ice. Four okay. inches, you can walk around, you can fish all day, have a great time. Uh, five to six inches, group of people fine, snow machine, snowmobile fine, uh, four wheeler fine. You get over like seven, eight, nine inches, and then you pretty much after that can do whatever you want. And one thing to keep in mind, the, the ice, is, it's floating. It's not supporting your weight in air. It's actually floating on top of the ice. And the thicker it gets, even if it cracks, the harder it is for that crack to turn over so you can fall in. So if you're on a foot of ice and it cracks next to you, that crack doesn't, isn't necessarily dangerous because you can't turn that block of ice you're on. Yeah, because it can't spread, right? It can't spread. Right. The crack might go across the whole lake, but it can't turn over and dump you in. Uh, so you're pretty much safe on, on, I would say, relatively safe on that. Uh, we frequently see ice up here. It gets to be you know, 20 inches thick, and you could drive a Mack truck on something like that. We have In New Hampshire, we have airports on Lake Winnipesaukee that open up right about this time of year. And airplanes land on the ice, and a jeep will drive out and pick up passengers and bring them back to the shore. Uh, so after a certain point, the ice just becomes solid, solid ground. Uh, and and I, we always say relatively safe because there's no such thing as safe ice. But um, and in fact, I've seen uh, with Pisaki, I once saw four cars drive across a spot, and the fifth car go through. So oh yeah, so and I don't I don't drive on my car, truck on the ice very often, although I have uh, out in the Midwest. It's very very common for people to drive on the ice. It's pretty much standard for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, so but hey, Paul, we'd love to have you come north, and I'll bring you ice fishing. We can record a podcast in my shanty and have a good time. So be safe. I'll put a um, I, I'll put a link up at fishnerds.com with ice safety charts for those who want to check it out. Thanks, Paul. Yep. Anyone want to call in uh, to leave a message for Stump the Fish Nerds, call 607-378-FISH, and we'll use your question on the air. On well, the can air. I, can right. I make a couple uh, quick inquiries real, real quick about ice uh, fishing? Please. Well, one time, this was back in the late 70s when we were having these evil, wicked winters. We had 20-some inches of ice. Jesus. But, but we hadn't had that much. We were maybe 8 inches, 10 inches. Anyway, mm-hmm. I was out at the spot at a water supply lake. It's called Lake Olathe. And there were a lot of holes drilled in this one spot because it was really good fishing. Sure. And I was out there with a rather ample uh, gentleman, a friend of mine, a little over 300 pounds. And we were fishing there. And all of a sudden, we just felt the collective hole about 10 feet around us just kind of go crunch. And we yep. felt the whole thing settle. Yep. And we figured either it was because all the holes or they'd drawn so much drinking water out of the lake, they had made some airspace under the ice right there. But we gave each other that look that was like, did you feel that? <laughs> I felt that, you know, and then we gingerly cat-footed it away and mm-hmm. escaped, but that was unnerving as hell. Now, I uh, don't know if that's ever happened to you or if that's something that's common in ice fishing, but it happened to me. Ice moving is extremely common, and that urge to run away is inherent, I think. <laughs> we were launching a shanty on Silver Lake um, in New Hampshire, two days ago before the blizzard came. We had to get on the water before the snow piled up. And we were dragging it out with a snow machine and it got stuck in a slushy pot, spot in the lake. So we all got out and we all, there's about seven of us and we're pushing on the shanty. And all of a sudden we dropped down two inches. You felt the whole, entire ice shelf just go thump, just like you described. And this horrible cracking thump, 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 thump across the ice. And all of us ran in different directions. 
and we were just fine. Uh, the, ice was, the ice was still perfectly fine. It just, you remember, you're floating. So everything you do, there is movement. You're always, you're always moving when you're on the ice. You may not moving fast. And then once in a while, the movement goes a little bit faster. And if you're on really thick ice, you're probably okay. But that, it's unnerving. Um, we wear um, float suits. So like the pants I wear when I'm ice fishing are, um, are called, called lift suits. They are, they are buoyant. And so if I fall in, I'm going to float on my butt. <laughs> I can't go underwater with those on. All right. And I also usually have ice picks in my pocket or around my neck. And we just try to be safe. Use common, not use common sense, because if you're not used to be on the ice, common sense won't help you. Uh, but just, you know, use your best safety brain and always, if you don't feel good about it, don't go on it. That's kind of the best advice. And usually you don't want to be the first one out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, I make my ice picks out of little stub screwdrivers. That's how underprepared we are. Hey, that's perfect. Out here in Kansas. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. I, I used to wear a life jacket under my um, winter coat. Me too. Yeah. And it just, you got you to gotta think about what's the worst thing that can happen. And have, having seen people die in the water, which I have, uh, I always think, okay, I've seen what it looks like to die. I don't want to be that person. And that's, <laughs> you're just thinking those terms. I don't want to be the one to die. What can I do to mitigate that risk? Right. But for most of us, driving to the lake is the scariest thing we're ever going to do. Exactly. Uh, getting in your car every day. Like all these people are like, oh, okay. I don't ski because I'm scared to death. I don't f- ice fish because I'm scared to death. I don't do this because I'm scared to do it. And then they get in their car. And statistically speaking, your car is the most dangerous place you're ever going to be. Oh, yeah. And people get in the car. Be predicted. You know, she has yeah. rules and she sticks to them. Yeah, but your car and the other drivers, I mean, just look at the numbers. Your, your car is a scary death trap. <laughs> in, in 20 years, when we have driverless cars and our kids are getting in uh, cars, they're going to look back in time and they're going, they let you drive those things? Yeah. Because, because when driverless cars come out, you're going to see car deaths drop by like 90%. Absolutely. And, and kids are going to be shocked that people ever, ever drove that way. I can't believe you were living in such a dangerous world. <laughs> so, yeah, it'll be yeah. the classic. It'll be classic. All right. So, so let's talk about your, um, your lures. We don't have a lot of time left, but I want to I talk. You sent me uh, a package of lures that you made. Uh, they were big. They were ugly. They were lead-free, and they caught fish, right? Right on. And which is catching fish is the most important thing. And I got to be honest, if, if I saw these on a shelf in the, in the store in the ice fishing section, I would have laughed and walked right past them. Um, these look like lady, if Lady Gaga was a fishing lure, this yeah. would be. Well, I will admit it, you know, it might be a little over-engineered, but I wanted to go <laughs> for something. Now, I have a couple of friends that give me a little bit of trouble, but then, of course, some of my other testers and friends are like, oh, no. You know, because it was designed as an open water bait, and we sure. just happened to see how well it jigs. And I wanted to make an underspin, which is a classic concept on a lure, but I want to make it different. And so I put three line ties on it. So, and that's why it's called Angle King. So you can angle it up by changing the line ties. And uh, I wanted to use a unique spinner system, which is another thing that makes our stuff unique. But it's it's our first bait, and. You know, we, we brought it from the drawing board to the marketplace, and uh, I think it's pretty cool myself. I mean, you know. Oh, it's totally cool. And and I was testing these on Silver Lake, which is, I would think, this, I keep talking about this lake. It's the worst lake in the state of New Hampshire. I've ice fished the entire state. I hate this lake, but it's close by, and it has huge fish in it. So I, I took it on the lake the other day with me, and I didn't bring any other lure out. When I'm testing a lure, if I have options, 
and I'm not catching fish in the first five minutes, I'm going to get rid of the one I'm testing and go with one I know. So I made it a point to only bring your lures out with me. Okay. I was the first one on the lake was January 1st, so I was the first one out there. And I drilled, it was like five below zero and windy. I drilled two holes. And I sat in my heater and I started jigging. And right away on my flasher, the sonar, fish started chasing the lure, which was exciting. They were all yellow perch, and they're probably smaller than the lure itself. And then about 10 minutes, I finally hooked my first fish, and it was a yellow perch that was about the same size as the fishing lure. Yeah. And, and I sent you a picture of that. And I'll have yeah, it that was nice. Um, and I, was, I, was, I got excited about it, so I kept jigging it. It still counts, man. It's a new it still species. Counts. Hey, and it bit the hook. It didn't just get snagged. That's right. Uh, and then I started noticing lake trout catch, chasing it. And you can, if you fish for lake trout a lot, you can, they, they travel in pairs usually. And uh, they do is they, they kind of swoop in from the bottom, chase bait up about 10 or 12 feet, and either bite it or swim away. And the lake trout kept swimming away from it. No matter what I would do, they would chase it and then they wouldn't take it. So I switched the, you had a, I had a pink one. I took the pink tail off and put a white tail on it and it didn't help. Uh, <laughs> and then I just, and then up higher in the water column on the sonar, I started seeing more fish above it. So I started jigging up there. As soon as I brought it below the ice by about 10 feet, a, a fat rainbow trout slammed into it and I had that out of the ice. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And I, I, I immediately sent you a message going, John, John, you got to see this fish. I was really excited about it. I was stoked. It was such a thrill and such a beautiful fish. I mean, yeah. it's such a little chunky. I love yeah. it. Yeah, totally fun. So they, they work. Uh, this Tomorrow, I'm actually guiding, and I'm going to jig them under the ice in front of an underwater camera and try to get video of how they wow, look. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious how they, how they look in the water. I'm always like to kind of, kind of fully explore them. So that's coming. That's what I'm doing tomorrow. Um, but hey, so why did you get into making jigs? I mean, so many people make fishing lures. It's a thankless enterprise. Uh, you probably aren't going to get rich from it. What what motivates you to make these things? Okay, well, I'll try to tell this really quickly. Uh, in 2011, we were on a search uh, looking at different colleges for our daughter Sarah, and I came to the East Coast and I found out about the lead-free laws there in fishing, and I started looking at the different options and. What I found was generally oh, lacking. It was either overpriced or it did make a good equivalent and so on. And so, you know, I thought in fairness to people, if we're going to replace lead in fishing, and we ought to because lead litter is responsible for about 2,000 tons of lead going into our rivers, lakes, and coastal waters every season, um, we're going to have to meet it on lead's terms, which means we've got to make it available. We've got to make it uh, affordable. And we've got to make it, you know, somewhat craftable, just like lead is. And so I decided to start designing, and then in 2016, I was basically coming out of a dream, if you want to believe this, but it's true. And I saw the lure, I came down, I, I made a prototype, I went down to my pond, threw it out, caught a 15-inch crappie, and I knew it was Providence. I knew the fish angels were telling me which way to go, what one of my products to develop first, and that's the way we went. And yeah, it's, that's one reason the lure is kind of overbuilt, because everybody's like, oh, there's enough fishing lures. but I think the lead-free movement needs a classic. It needs a fishing lure that was made from lead from the get-go, its own design. Um, we want to sell a lot of angle kings because angle kings are about catching fish. We all want to sell, help the environment, but as you pointed out, why the hell do we have tackle unless we're out there to catch fish, right? Catching right. fish is the primary thing. So it's a great fish catcher that just happens to be made out of uh, lead-free material, in this case, tin. Uh, but we're going to use profits from that to move along some of our more less sexy ideas, less recognizable ideas and eventually you know come into an entire lead-free company that you can just go to you want to be lead-free and just go get all your stuff from us 
That sounds great. And, and uh, I used to be a member of like Mystery Tackle Box and Lucky Tackle Box. And I would get these mailing every month with a tackle box full of ice fishing gear I can't use because the rest of the country hasn't caught up to New England with lead-free laws. Uh, and you know why they haven't caught up? Uh, I'm not. Uh, well, I, I do and I don't. But, yes. uh, I mean, Stubborn anglers. Stubborn fishermen who pretend they don't want to buy new fishing lures. Well, I'm going to have to take <laughs> exception to that. I, I find, look, you've got to give them a lure that they want to buy. Oh, that you, helps, too. You do this to be a good person. That's bull cookie. All right. Yeah. You know, we yeah. want to catch some fish. Sure. Right? And I found that if you give them a fair choice, it's sitting right there on the shelf by the lead. Maybe it only, maybe it costs 5% more, maybe 10% more. You, there's a threshold there, but everybody, I'm telling you 99 out of a hundred fishermen are environmentalists. If for no other reason, they know it makes for better fishing. Absolutely. To keep things you know clean and to keep the, the, uh, conservation going. So if we can make it available and competitive in price, because the performance is no problem. Right. You know, iron goes to the bottom, just like lead, just like whatever. And, uh, you know, this tungsten thing is real popular for other reasons. Well, you can popularize other materials for the same sorts of reasons. They, as long as fishermen say, hey, this is giving me an advantage, they don't care if it's made out of radium. They're going to come and get some of it and, and use it. So I, I, I think the private market can solve this. I know why you guys wanted the laws, the loon. It was an emergency, and, and it, you know, the, the bird was disappearing, and you knew exactly why. Right. Uh, they're looking at it in Minnesota, Michigan, California, other places. Uh, and, and, and of course, you well know, there's a very active pro-lead lobby that works against the whole lead-free thing, you know, to right. begin. Well, there's but always that. There's always the other, other side, right? There was that lobby chasing it. Well, there's money there. We want the money. So. Well, I just believe in my anglers. I think they'll switch if we give them a fair choice. So that's where I'm at. With it. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I think if it's fair priced and, and I always say though, like, a lot of anglers in New Hampshire, for example, if you read the message boards, their big argument was the cost, right? So you sound like you're, you're competitively priced. So that's really good. And they don't want to get rid of all their old lead to buy, new, to buy new gear. I always say I've never met a fisherman who doesn't like buying new gear. So that's a funny argument to be in. Absolutely. And given the choice of lead-free, most people will. It's funny, in my town in New Hampshire, um, we went smoke-free voluntarily. All the restaurants chose to go smoke-free except for like one restaurant. And it was great going out for dinner here. And then a year later, it became a law in the state, which I didn't support because I thought the market was pushing that way anyway. And my hope would be out in the Midwest, the market pushes people and you know, good ethics push people before a law has to come in and get them to do it. You know, they do what's right because it's right and it works, not because the government tells you to do it. I think that'd be a much better approach. We'll see oh, what happens. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, anglers are great about, you know, things like duck stamps. Hunters mm-hmm. ask for that. Things like excise tax on fishing tackle to support federal wildlife programs. Outdoorsmen ask, outdoor people, excuse me, ask for that. You know, <laughs> we're, you know, we're all about it, like I say, uh, for the most part. You know, you can find that horrible exception. Yep, they're all around. Throws plastics in the water and, you know, just doesn't care. But you can't generalize from that 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 person no those are those are the outliers most people are good and do the right thing well we're excited now i've actually been asked by people where to find these lures and i don't have a website or url what do you where can people get hold of these if they want to get a lure like this glasswaterleadfreelures.com let me write this in my show notes they're here all right so glasswaterleadfreelures.com 
com, And I'll be sure and share that link out uh, as I get more photos of these catching fish for us tomorrow. We're taking them bass fishing. Uh, and so we'll see if we get some bass with the ice with them. I am excited. I'll be waiting. I'll be waiting too. It's going to be uh, high tomorrow on the ice. We'll be negative eight. That'll be the warmest it's going to be. And it'll be 40 mile hour winds all day. Well, I just walked an earlobe just hearing about that. Okay. <laughs> just so you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They just, mine will snap right off. <laughs> it's so cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, this is not a day. I, on my own, I would not go out in that weather. Right. But I'm getting paid to go out in that weather, so I'm going to go for it. It's going to be terrible. It's the money, baby. It's the money. Well, I'd be honest, though. Like, I have a shanty with a huge heater in there. It's Inside the shanty, it's probably going to be 75 degrees. Uh, so my, the anglers with me will be fine, except I'm going to make them leave the shanty and go chase fish. <laughs> the, the problem with fishing in a shanty is you have a six-inch hole in front of you. If you're on a boat, you would never consider fishing in one six-inch spot in the lake the whole day. Right. Why on earth would you sit in a shanty and fish that same six-inch spot all day? You've got to get out. You've got to move around. You've got to chase the fish down. So we'll, we'll do what we can. Hopefully, here share some photos of these uh, fish being caught on the glass water lead-free lures. Uh, John, thank you for being part of the Fish Nerds podcast. We're excited to be um, to, be, to meet you. Uh, we love interacting with you on Facebook, and uh, I see you on the Instagram uh, now and, and we're just, uh, we just I love this interaction. It makes me super happy. How did you find the show? Um, well, I actually cut my teeth on uh, listening to S Town on the American Experience, but I wanted and I loved, loved fell in love with podcasts because I'm old enough to remember radio shows. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I wanted something lightweight instead of listening to some of this heavier material that my daughter keeps turning me on to. Well, thanks. Uh, <laughs> no, well, I, I I put in fish podcasts uh-huh. and a top ten came up. And I just scrolled down, and then Fish Nerds caught my eye. And then when I hit the link there, it just popped on to episode 148. And I thought it was the fish angels talking to me again, because here it was, an episode about lead-free fishing. Of course, my friends tell me, no, it was the algorithm angels, because you own a lead-free fishing company, and you're associated <laughs> with uh, education, uh-huh. and you love kids. And so the episode, you're associated with education, and your daughter was a co-host that time. So anyway, long story short, I fell in love with the podcast and I spent so much time at my workbench just doing stuff where I like to have something to listen to. Uh, so I started at 148, went forward, then I started going backward. And, you know, when I'm all done with all the old fish nerds, then I'm going to go on to critters. But always continue to be a fish nerd fan week in, week out. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. And I always love hearing from people. And I was off air, I was telling people that, you know, I, I interact with, with famous anglers. Uh, all the time, but it means more to me to hear from people like you who like the show because you're just fans. And it's way well. Cool. When I get famous, are you going to quit interacting with me? Is that you, well? Then I'm going to start hitting you up for sponsorship, and then we'll go from there. Hey, right on, man. <laughs> right on. That's a problem that I'd like to have. Yeah, wouldn't we you all love to have that problem? Too. Yeah, too much money would be a good problem to yeah, have. Yeah, indeed. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. Special thanks to uh, Nick Hudson Swagger from Dan's Bath Salts for making this music for us. <laughs> God. Hey, this is from the Huff Post. Real, uh, real news here about cold weather. Uh, three sharks die of apparent cold shock on Cape Cod. This is from uh, from Huff Post. Uh, the the NOAA managed to save eighteen cold stunned sea turtles in Texas. Um, speaking of which, uh, three sharks found on the shores of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, this week likely died of cold shock 
as frigid winter temperatures hit the East Coast, according to shark experts. Three thresher sharks were all males and close to 14 feet long. Two were found Wednesday on well feet uh, in Orleans beaches, and a third was discovered on Friday near Brewster. Atlantic White Shark Conservancy experts examined each animal and determined they were likely succumbed to cold shock, though they won't know for certain until the necropsy uh, results are in. Um, this is strange to me. For I would, I would, I'm shocked to see uh, fish dying from the cold weather. I don't know if you ever heard of this before. Oh yeah, I've heard of fish shock. Well, I, I've heard of that. Like if you take a fish from an aquarium and you put it in water temperature that's the wrong temperature, they die. But to have it happen in a large system like the ocean, I find that shocking. Well, I don't know. I mean, we have shad kills all the time, summer and winter up here, because they uh, they shock out real easy, and that's that's where the like the silver buddy blade bait. That's mm-hmm. the whole basis of that lure is to imitate a, a cold shock shad that's you know still trying to swim, but it. I think it blows their swim bladder or something. It, it does something to them. Well, here's what happened. Cold, cold shock occurs when an organism is suddenly exposed to extreme dips in temperature, causes muscle spasms and cardiac arrest. Sharks affected by cold shock may become stranded on land and suffocate. Temperatures on the Cape Cod have dipped below five degrees in the past week. Um, but, I, you know, I, I would expect to see them dying with the temperature, the temperature dropping slow. I think they wouldn't die, but I guess it's right. I, that cold you know, just fell right on them. Right. If it, it, it's fast like that, I just don't know if they can be, I mean, I'm sure the turtles can be saved. I know you can't do nothing for a shad that's in cold shock. Come on, we'll just use it for bait. Or, yeah. Uh, the sharks, I don't know. I don't know, but we'll see what happens. I'm surprised only three have uh, died, to be honest. If, if it's going to happen, I would, I would expect to see it happen on a larger scale. Sad to see sharks dying, though. We love sharks. Um, and uh, it's, well, it's a bummer. <laughs> cold shock, you know, cold shock that maybe there's something that gets to them. I don't know how big they are. They're about seven feet long. Cleaning them up. Yeah, there's something will eat them. Right on. All right. Hey, speaking of cold shock, uh, Maine is a unique state. Have you been to Maine before? Uh, yes, I have. We went up to look at Bowden when we were on the college search. Uh, nice college. Yeah, she ended up going to Vassar, though. That, oh, fancy. Look at that. Uh, well, right scholarship since we're bragging about our kids. Nice job. All <laughs> right. My kids are just 10 and seven, 8 right now, so I'm not thinking college yet until uh, – Maybe the fish nerds can pay for college someday. Uh, all right. So this is from uh, newmainnews.com. Headline, wardens warn frigid temps could load, uh, lead to burst beers for ice fishermen. <laughs> I know. I know. Be careful out there. Uh, while lakes and ponds across the state are seeing an uptick in activity, wardens want fishermen to be aware of the dangers posed by exposure to freezing temperatures when it comes to beer. Uh, no one loves anything more than a frosty cold one when ice fishing, Warden Travis Smith said. However, people need to be aware when temperatures are cold, beer can freeze up on you and burst quicker than you might think. Uh, this and that's could, why you should drink whiskey. Yeah, that's right. This could mean an entire day is ruined. You bring a 30 rack on the ice before you know it, you've lost 15 or 16 beers, and you've still got a whole day of fishing ahead of you, Smith said. Uh, <laughs> I've heard of this. I, I know in the Dakotas, they ice them down to keep them insulated. That's right. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole article. There'll be a link on fishnerds.com. I will say this. I don't drink when I'm uh, guiding at all. So tomorrow I'll be on the ice with some couple of guys. They might have a couple of beers. I will have a lot of coffee. That's my yeah. plan. And even when ice fishing with friends, I might have a beer. But if I'm going to have a beer, it's certainly not going to be a Schlitz or a PBR. It's going to be some nice IPA or a good beer. Yeah, make it count. You're only having one, right? You know. Well, well, also, I mean, why carry a thirty rack on the ice when you can carry like two really good beers? Well, I yeah, I don't like to 
drink when I fish either. I, yeah. I save it for after. I mean, yeah. on the boat or on the ice. I mean, maybe for shore fishing or catfish or something. That's one thing. But yeah, well, you need to keep your wits about you. You, you, you best uh, stick to one or two, right? Yeah, I mean, you really are. You are. You, people don't realize that when they're on this, they are in a, a survivalist situation. It, it may become easy for some people to be out there, but. Uh, Things can change, and people do die because of, of uh, drinking too much on the ice. Well, we talk about extremities getting busted off. If you're going to drink a 12-pack, you're going to have an extremity hanging out there more than you probably ought to. So That's a fair point. be careful. That frostbite, that could end your career. Oh, it'd be game over uh, unless you've been married for more than 10 years and doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. And I think that's all the news for tonight. <laughs> Let's wrap this show up. So that's it. You've listened to a whole bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on fishing quests, and do all sorts of silly things that nerds do. And there are a lot of them these days. Special thanks to Hugo Medeiros, Jeff Danielson, Paul Chomo, John K from Glasswater, RedFreeLures.com. Uh, so until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. And avoid too much of a strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. All right, you made a podcast. Awesome, man. My first one. First one, and this is not.